Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. So today, we're continuing in a series that's a really, really important series that's entitled, I Serve, Discovering Your Purpose. Now, you'll find on the back of your bulletin, and, and you'll find this every place where you can kind of track along with us in this teaching series. Thank you so much, Diane, for covering a really important part of this last week in talking about how God has specifically gifted people uh, to, to serve, to be used in His kingdom, to, to find their purpose uh, when they uh, become aware of their spiritual gift and their spiritual gifting. That, that if you are a follower of Christ, then God by His Spirit has given to you gifts. He's given to you charisma, charismata, gifts that but His Spirit using through your life can do great and wonderful and mighty things to encourage and build up others. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is that when we begin to use the gifts that God has given to us by His Spirit, and by the way, there is no place here for false humility, uh, where someone might say, well, you know, um, man, God just hasn't given me anything. I don't have anything to give. I'm this or I'm that. I, I don't have any special gifts. There's not anything special about me. There is no place here for that kind of false humility because to deny the gifting of the Spirit in your life is to deny the work of Christ in your life as well. So there's no place here for false humility that says that I, I am no good I have no gift, I have no place, I have no purpose. This series is designed for us as a body to come to terms with the fact that we have been gifted. God does have a purpose and a place for us in this place called the world, in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ. And we want you to embrace that in your life. Now, there's a couple of tools that might help you in this journey. Uh, if you go to our website, you will find a spiritual gift inventory. Uh, you can go to our website. You can find that. You can fill out an inventory that might help you to discover what your spiritual gift is, or at least get you close and in the ballpark of where your spiritual gifting is. There's another thing that you'll find as well on the website also, and I think we're going to be making these available to you in print form at some, at some point in time, and that is where you can take and you can use your specific gift in a place of ministry and service in the body of Christ. And here's what we believe. We believe that when you take your gift and your passion and it meets opportunity, that's where you plug in, engage, find your purpose in the body of Christ. Where you take your gift and your ministry passion, and by the way, you might have the gift to teach. But that does not mean that your passion is increasing. Your, your gifting might be in another area. Your gifting might be that of mercy. But your passion might be in another specific area. Just because you have a gift 
in a particular area of teaching, mercy, whatever it may be, does not mean that that gift could plug in into all areas or facets of life or of even church ministry. But you will have a passion. There's a place that God wants you to use your gift in. When you take your gift plus your ministry passion, when that meets opportunity, that's when you can find a place of significance and purpose in the body of Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that when you use your gifts in ministry, God builds others up through you. When you use your gifts in ministry, and when you are using your gifts in ministry, it's simply the Spirit having control of your life. You're just letting the Spirit guide and control your life. When you use your gifts in ministry, God uses your life to build others up and to grow the body of Christ. Uh, there's some scripture that we're going to be looking at today, a couple of places in scripture. We're moving toward the book of Ephesians. But there's some really important things that are going to lead up into what we realize there in the book of Ephesians, specifically verses 1 through 16. We're going to start in Acts chapter 7. And when you look at this thing, big picture, big picture, it really does make a lot of sense. When you go back in time, and you go back in history, and you think about how God moved amongst His people throughout history, in the early beginnings of His relationship with Israel, you'll find there that God gave specific instructions on the building of what was known as a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place where God's presence would inhabit, it would be amongst His people. doesn't necessarily mean that God lived there, that His presence was excluded to that place, but God's presence certainly inhabited, inhabited that place. And it was a tabernacle that was on the move. It was on the move. God instructed on how to build a tabernacle that was on the move in the midst of His people. And actually, God Himself is not confined. He was not restricted. He was not limited to this tabernacle. It's not like God's presence inhabited or inhabited the tabernacle, but nobody, nowhere else on the planet, God's presence could be found. That's simply not the case. But it was a very localized place where God's people could experience God. Then from there, if you follow this historically, you will find that from the tabernacle, the leadership of Israel insisted that God have a temple. A temple. The temple was not a place on the moon. But the temple was a stationary place. And many times they referred to this temple as the house of God. The house of the Lord. And so when people thought about things like ministry, and they thought about service, and they thought about sacrifice, and they thought about worship. They would think in terms of going to the temple, and the temple was the place where those things took place, and those things happened. 
All of that, though, was not God's idea. It wasn't God's idea that he would have a, a stationary, permanent place that was called his house. That was the idea of the leadership of Israel because they wanted to be like other people. God's plan was not that he would ever be localized to one specific place. He much more preferred the idea of being a God that is on the move. But nonetheless, God pretty much gave in to the leadership of Israel and said, okay, if you want to build me a house, you can build me a house, but please be aware of the fact that it's not going to be there forever. In fact, Jesus, in his days, specifically prophesied of the end of the temple. In the end of the temple, in the end of the old covenant, in the end of the sacrificial system under the law, that came to a very decisive conclusion when the Romans came into Jerusalem around 70 AD and they sacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple stone by stone by stone. The temple came down just as Jesus promised. And guess what? It's never been built again. Stephen lays this out in Acts chapter 7. And you got to keep in mind too, that in the early church, in that first century, they are moving out of a, Ju a Judaism uh, that was under the old covenant and under the law. They were moving away out of that and they were moving to the new covenant that Jesus would give through the cross and the resurrection. And so many times, like in the book of Acts, when you're reading the book of Acts, you're going to see the, the, this, this Jewish understanding of relating to God under the law coming and almost clashing at times with this new way of relating to God through the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus made all things new, that's exactly what He did. He made all things new. The old way is gone. The new way has come. Look with me in Acts chapter 7 real quick here. This is Stephen explaining this to the great Jewish council. And in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 45, he talks about the tabernacle, the tabernacle that was on the moon. And he says, And having received, received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon disposing, dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. Verse 46, David, king of Israel, found favor in God's sight and asked, David asked, that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. David would not build the temple. Why? Scripture says he had way too much blood on his hands. He was a violent king and leader. So God doesn't allow David to build the temple. He allows Solomon to build the temple. And that's what Stephen says here in verse 47. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, 
before anybody thinks and before anybody concludes that God resides in a house or in a place built by human hands. Stephen says, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, speaking of the Lord, Heaven is my throne. Earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? And then, in verse 51, it's almost like even saying, and folks, you've continued to get this idea wrong. You men who are stiff-necked. To be stiff-necked means to be set in your ways. It means to be hard-headed. It means to be set on one particular idea or one particular direction. To be stiff-necked is an unwillingness. It is an unwillingness to change. An unwillingness to see something different or to accept that. And let's be honest. Old ways die hard. Old beliefs die hard. Seeking God and seeking truth can be a hard, messy business. He says to them at this point, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Now they had already experienced, these were Jews coming out of Judaism, trying to understand and get their minds around this gospel thing that Stephen's talking about. Uncircumcised in heart is what he calls them. They had gotten circumcision the other way. They had gotten, they had gotten circumcision the other way. There's children in the audience. I will not go into detail about that. You can go home this afternoon and look it up if you want to. And by the way, kids, just ask your parents and they'll be glad to tell you this afternoon. They had received circumcision the other way, which was a sign or devotion to the Old Covenant, the law. They had gotten religion right, but they got God wrong. What they needed was not a change of their physical body, what they needed was a change in their heart. And this is the promise of the new covenant. The new covenant prom uh, promises a change of the heart. They needed a change of their heart and a change of their mind. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the way you're always resisting. Always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. And then later, this thing comes up again. This whole idea. Where can you find God? Where can you experience God? Where can you serve God? Where does ministry take place? Where does sacrifice take place? Where and how does worship happen? Comes up again. In Acts chapter 17. 
This is Paul on Mars Hill. He shows up there at Mars Hill among people who were of a more of a pagan background and a pagan worship experience. And this is what he says in Acts 17, verse 23. He says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects, the objects, the objects of your worship. You don't have any objects of your worship, do you? You don't have any objects of your worship, do you? Paul says, I was examining the objects of your worship. Reminds me of Jesus in the conversation he had with the woman at the well. And she, her question was kind of similar. Where do we go to worship? And Jesus says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, you don't go to a specific place to worship Him. He cannot be confined. He cannot be limited. There is no house that He inhabits. Paul says, I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God, this is the kicker right here, the God who made the world and all things in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not, He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor Served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Any of you identify what this is? This is a cassette tape. I know maybe some of our Younger people may be going, what in the world is that thing? Cassette tape. Came, came about in about 1963. Cassette tape was introduced about 1963. I mean, this was the latest technology for uh, recording human voice, dictation, that kind of thing. Over time, it was not a great quality for listening to music, but over time, the technology advanced. And by the early 80s, by the early 80s, this is what you listen, use to listen to your music. Now, some of you still might have had, what was that other thing called? It was a little bit bigger than this. It would go in your dash in your car. What was that thing called? It was called a eight track. I mean, you used to rock it out to the eight track. I know you did. Go ahead. Admit it right now. I rocked it out to the eight track. Can I get it right here? There's a guy in the very back. I rocked it out to the eight track. For me, I rocked it out to the cassette player. I'll never forget the first in dash I got. It was a Kenwood in dash in my 1980. What in the world was that car? It was a 1980 Cutlass Supreme. 
White mag wheels. It was awesome. Put that cassette tape in there, man. Had me a system, and I rocked it out with the cassette tape. Did you know though that by 1993, by 1993, this thing had decreased in shipment to only about seven percent of all types of forms of music and audio recording. And did you know that in 2011, in the Oxford Dictionary, in its concise version, it eliminated it eliminated the word cassette player. Why is that? Well, somewhere in the early 90s, a new form and a new technology came out. And what was that called? That new form and that new technology was called a what? It's called a CD. And that then became shortly the predominant means of how people listened to music, recorded things, they used a CD. This thing is still sold. There are a very few manufacturers who still make these, but for the most part, they have become what? They have become what? They have become obsolete. And I also have this in my hand. This is a high eight. And this was kind of like the, the technology when my children were born. When Brady and Katie were babies, and, and I had the Sony High 8 recorder that I would take in my hand. Almost all of our memories are on the High 8. And it's still a, like a larger cassette type tape. Uh, does anybody need to see these? You want to actually hold this thing? I mean, this is, this is, like, this is like an antique, or antique, right? So a lot of our memories, so many of our memories, and we've got a stack in our hall closet of these stacked on top of each other. Listen to this. Memory upon memory upon memory upon memory upon memory in old technology. These have become obsolete. When it comes to God and how we relate to God. You have already seen in Scripture this morning a view of God and how God operated under an old covenant. But that old covenant, also known as the law, which was conditional, it was absolutely conditional. The law said, the old covenant said, if you, then I will. It was conditional. If you, then I will. If you do this, then I will bless you. If you do that, I will bless you. If you honor this, I will bless you. The old covenant was specifically given to Israel. A conditional covenant. But notice this now in the book of Hebrews. This is what Stephen and this is what Paul were, they were given their lives for this thing called the New Covenant. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And watch this and see if this does not remind you, if this does not remind you of the cassette tape. Hey, Hebrews chapter 8. 
beginning in verse 13. Speaking of the new covenant in God's new way, which was not conditional, if you, then I, but it was unconditional, I will. You simply receive what I will do in your life through grace. That's what Jesus brought. It was brand new. A completely different way of relating to God. The writer of Hebrews put it this way when he said, a new covenant. He's made the first what? He's made the first what? He's made the first obsolete. A new way has come. A better way has come. A superior way of relating to God has come. The old covenant, he says, is obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to do what? Is ready to do what? It is ready to disappear and it would disappear in AD 70 when Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans and the temple was destroyed. And the temple, listen to this, the temple was never rebuilt. Why? Because the old is gone, the new has come. You and I today, we do not live under the old and we do not live under a mixture of the old and the new. Because as soon as you add a little leaven to the lump, the whole lump becomes what? The whole lump becomes Leaven. You do not add a little old to the new. It is not a mixture of old and new. That's not what we live under in Jesus. It is new absolutely and completely. But unfortunately, and let's be honest, unfortunately, a lot of our memories and our experiences in our church experiences, and what we've been taught over the years was recorded under the old. Just like today, I could go to my closet and start pulling back all those old tapes of all those memories. For many of us growing up, we were taught a hybrid covenant gospel that mixed the old and the new together. And you can see it in people's attitudes. You can see it in how they live their life. You can hear it in preaching and teaching. A blend of the old and new together. But Jesus was very clear. And the writer of Hebrews was very clear. The old is obsolete. You say, what does this have to do with my service? What does it have to do with my purpose in the body of Christ? Watch this. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul was specifically at this point around chapter 6. Around chapter 6, Paul was dealing with the fact that many of the Corinthian believers were not honoring God with their body. In fact, he specifically calls out sexual immorality. He pleads to them, or he pleads with them, 
to abstain or to walk away from sexual immorality. And that would be like the issue, the issue that he initially starts to address in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is what he says, to help people to understand that they do not need to continue to give themselves over to sexual immorality and to ways that dishonor God or does not use their bodies in a proper way. This is what he says, and watch this very carefully and watch this closely. Because he's trying to get them to turn from their ways, but he appeals to a more foundational and principled teaching to help them to understand why they needed to change course. And this is what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know? Do you not know what? That your body is a what? Do you not know that your body is a temple? Your body, you, you are a house of the Lord. You are the house of God. That's what temple means. A dwelling place for the Most High. You see the difference. Under the old, God lived in a house, a stationary, identifiable place where people would come to worship and serve and sacrifice and minister. But He doesn't live there anymore. In fact, you can't confine Him to anywhere on this planet Earth. But under the new... Here's what He's chosen to do. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Under the new, God moved out of the old temple and He moved into you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Who owns this is the one who has taken up residence in this. And he moved out of the temple that could be torn down with human hands inside of you that could never your spirit and soul never be destroyed. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, back to the original issue, glorify God in your body. Why do I glorify God in my body? I glorify God in my body because I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why am I a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because God does not live in a place built by human hands. He lives inside of us. Now imagine this, okay? Y'all still with me? Imagine this. So now, so now, so now, so now, under the new, 
church or the house of the Lord is not a place you go to, but it is something you experience when you encounter other believers. Church is not something I go to. But when I experience the Lord in my life and in the lives of others, it is what takes place when we have fellowship. Ministry, service, service, worship, all of those things happen in and through our This is what Paul, this is what would lead Paul to write in Ephesians 4. This is kind of a lengthy text, but listen to this very closely. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, there's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, and watch this, watch this in verse 6, who is Overall, overall in the body of Christ, not the building, but the people, overall and through all and in all. Overall, through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now, I'm going to move down to verse 11 real quick. And he gave some. Gave some who? Men. People. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. He has given these spiritual gifts to some. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are the ones who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are a saint. Not based on anything that you've done. You don't qualify for sainthood. You receive sainthood because of what Jesus has done for you. You are a saint of God, whether you feel like it, whether you think like it, whether you believe it, and even if your old covenant mindset goes back to the law that says you do and God will bless you and it's all on you, you've got to get rid of that mindset and embrace the truth that if you're in Christ, He calls you one of His holy ones. And there's no false humility here. Because to decide or understand or declare otherwise 
is to undermine the work of Jesus on the cross and everything he died to give you. For the equipping of the saints, he's given gifts to some for the equipping of the saints for the work of what? For the work of service, for the work of ministry. So it's like a domino effect. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles who have a gift live their lives to encourage other people who have a gift so that in their lives they can be a part of ministry and service as well. For the equipment of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Wow. He moved out of that to move into you so that through you, he could change lives. And grow other people in Christ. And this is how the body of Christ grows. This is how the body of Christ is encouraged. It's all of us simply being us in Christ. Oh man, he goes on. He talks about attaining the unity of the faith and growing in our experience of the Son of God. He talks about in verse 16, I'll leave you with this today, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in what? Building up of itself in love. That one of the greatest gifts in the body of Christ to me is you. And one of the greatest gifts in the body of Christ to you is the people around you today. Out with the old, in with the new, you are the temple of the Lord. Your ministry, service, and worship Isn't it a cool thought or idea that when people get to spend time with you, as you are filled with the Spirit and using your gift, they get to grow in Christ because of your life. So as we march on today, weeks to come, it's really important that all of us each one of us, we just simply ask, Lord, how can you best use me? And how, 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 how can you write new memories of my life and my ministry on the new technology of the new covenant of Jesus Christ? This week, I'd encourage you and challenge you to to think about this and process this and think about ways maybe the old and the new have tried to blend together in your life over the years and over time. And what could happen in your life?
when you embrace the new in Christ. Would you stand with us this morning? Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.